Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host and your Guys Guy, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show. This is the place where when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. You ever wonder what your purpose was, your soul's purpose? Well, tonight we're going to have a special guest, Mark Thurston, Ph.D., and he has reissued his book, Discovering Your Soul's Purpose, Finding Your Path in Life, Work, and, the, and Personal Mission, The Edgar Casey Way, Edgar Casey, The Sleeping Prophet. So we're going to bring uh, Mark on in a few minutes, but it should be a compelling show, and it's interesting. I get such an uh, education by hosting Guys Guys Radio that it seems like synchronicity-wise, whenever I have something I'm working on or on my mind, that topic and that guest seems to bubble up for Guys Guys Radio. And I'd been working on alignment, my personal alignment, and I've been working on recently uh, my soul's purpose and making some headway, but uh, I have some questions about it. So I'm so thrilled that uh, Mark Thurston is going to be on to help, help us out with finding our soul's purpose and why we're here and what we should be doing to make the most of our once around the track in this lifetime, even though we are probably reincarnated over and over again. But for this rendition of ourselves, for this existence, what are we here for? And a lot of people, they're too busy to even think about it until it's too late. So we're going to take some time. We're going to get into it with Mark. If you want to give us a call and you have a question for us, that's fine. Our number is 347-945-5834, 347-945-5834. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on out in the world today, in the guys' guys' world, and then we'll bring on our special guest, Mark Thurston, PhD, and we'll talk about his book, Discovering Your Soul's Purpose. Well, here we are in New York City, and it's uh, late July, and uh, it's been cool all week here. We have the weirdest weather. I don't know if they're messing around with the weather again or what, but this past week, you know, it was in the 60s. This is usually the hottest part of the year, and it's been in the 60s. Today was beautiful. It was in the 70s, and it's supposed to be, you know, temperature-wise, 70s or so for the next five days. But it's odd because it's usually baking hot at this time of year, especially in New York City, and it hasn't been very strange. So I don't know if that's climate change they're messing around with the weather what but it's a surprise and i've been around these parts for many many years and i don't remember a cool july like the one we're having right now so uh, you know it almost seems like september weather so it's it's odd but we're dealing with it and it's not that bad but we're dealing with it um what's going on out there well if you look at the news of course uh, every day there's news about our president the wild ride that America has been on since he was inaugurated. And now uh, the latest is he's trashing his uh, attorney general. Uh, I don't know if he's trying to get him to quit. Uh, if, why doesn't he just fire him? But it's like internet bullying him through tweeting. And uh, it's uh, rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. You know, one of the things uh, uh, that I've learned is that our collective consciousness creates kind of our societal condition. And uh, for some reason, we've got a very polarizing society right now in America. And uh, ultimately, it could turn out to be a good thing. Let's, let's look at the good. A lot of issues are being brought to the surface. A lot of like, oh, wow, I can't believe people really think like that is coming up now. And, and people are also realizing the importance of compassion and, hey, we don't need to treat people this way. And the other thing that's odd is that when you've got a president who, uh, who's in the office and he's got the whole Congress on his side, technically, including the Senate, and he can't get anything really done, get real traction, uh, just shows you that there's this real push and pull going on. And uh, I think the group consciousness is out there, this resistance, if you will, even though people don't realize it, I, th I think it's working. And social media is such a tool now. Trump uses it. The opposition uses it. And uh, Obama used it. And it's really a force. And a lot of the stuff about, you know, we talk about the deep state and the cabal and all of that stuff. 
But uh, social media has really brought a lot of issues to light that otherwise people would be walking around with their heads down, not really knowing what's going on. And now they're at least aware of the possibilities of things, whether it's about extraterrestrial life, how the government is working, really working, uh, any kind of deep state, secret space programs, whatever. It's all on the tip of everybody's tongues now. So uh, whether they want disclosure or not at this point, the word's getting out there and people are talking about things and it's a real conversation that's going on in the society. So hopefully with all the craziness that's going on, that uh, it'll turn into something good. Let's take uh, the example of healthcare. Everybody's now realizing that, hey, all these other countries have free health care and we're getting clobbered. It's, one, it's almost the biggest issue in everybody's life now. Do I get health care and can I afford it? And with this, uh, some of these uh, proposals going through, which could eliminate health care from, you know, millions, uh, 22 million people, I think was the last one that they've been talking about. People are saying, like, what is going on? And I actually think that ultimately we're either going to get a single payer or and maybe that's step one. But I think ultimately we'll get health care in this country because uh, I think we have to. There is enough money to pay for it. It's just a matter of allocating it. And, uh, and if we put more of an emphasis on prevention instead of just uh, pushing pills on everybody, I think we'd be in a lot better situation with that and we'd be able to afford health care. I'll give you another example of how screwed up things can be. Here I am in New York City and uh, uh, mass transit. Now they're trying to dredge up a billion dollars to basically fix the infrastructure that's been ignored. And everything I've been reading basically said, you know, they've just been kicking the can down the road. You know, you have to get over the fact, folks, that the government really doesn't care about you. They're going to do things when they need to do things, and they're not going to be proactive. And now, when things are breaking down, whether it's Penn Station, whether it's with Amtrak, New Jersey Transit, the subway system, it's all falling apart at once. Things have to be taken care of. There has to be maintenance. It's just like with a vehicle or your home, whatever. You have to keep, have upkeep. You can't just, like, ignore it. And then things start falling apart. And that's basically what's been happening with this country, with our infrastructure, with the, the bridges and the tunnels across our land. It's just been ignored. And now we're going to have to pay a price for it. And everybody's pointing the fingers. Well, you pay for it. No, you state, you pay for it. No, federal government, you pay for it. And somebody's got to pay for it because the people now, they can't get to work. And that's a real issue. So... Elsewhere in the guys, guys world, we've got, uh, you know, it's amazing that uh, basketball has become so popular where now usually after the basketball season, which ends now, they drag it out till June. You just forget about it. And it comes back around November. Now people are still talking about basketball. They're talking about it more than they're talking about baseball, which is a national pastime. And I think because basketball is personality driven. Now the whole thing with the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Kylie Irving wants to be traded. And he says, because of LeBron James and all of that, you've got like reality TV playing out right in front of you. And the entertainment aspect is overshadowing the sports aspect. It's, it's fascinating what's happening and how marketing has really taken over uh, how sports are managed and basketball is doing a great job. And it's a global game. Hey, listen, you need a ball, you need a ho two hoops, and uh, you can play the game anywhere. So it's really caught on globally, much more than uh, football. Baseball is pretty big internationally, but not quite as big as basketball, I think, is going to be because it doesn't require, you know, the beef that you need in football, all the players you need in football. Um, football, you know, they play some games in London and I think one in Mexico, but it's not the same as basketball. Uh, where, you know, again, a ball and a couple of hoops and then five guys on each side, and that's it. And, and, and fans love it, and it is personality-driven. How did our whole Guys Guys brand uh, get started in a whole filter of better men, better world, when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins? Well, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Guys Guys Guide to Love. It was my second novel, and I got it published. And it's about two guys competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City. And it really caught on in terms of uh, great reviews and being considered kind of the male response to Sex in the City. And unlike Sex in the City, it's not four guys sitting around drinking Cosmopolitans talking about their girlfriends. It's about how men roll and how men really are 
versus the truth that a lot of women want to believe how men are. But the good news is the truth isn't that bad. And I expose a lot in the novel through the power of story, of course. And because of uh, the fact that there was such uh, such an emphasis in the book on relationships, and I got a lot of press and media about the book because of that, uh, including a double-page feature spread in the New York Post, and I was on uh, NBC TV and WPIX Morning News and a lot of radio and podcasts. Everybody wants to talk about dating. And so we launched Guys Guys Radio, and we started out strictly with relationship experts as guests and taking calls and talking about dating. And from there, I really realized that there's a lot out there that men are not aware of. There's a big world out there, and women are a little more open-minded than men. And I thought it would be a good idea to provide a new voice for men, a new positive voice as to what are the possibilities because there's a lot of guys, particularly, you know, guys, uh, Gen X and heading towards uh, boomer land, where doing the same thing the same way they've always done it. And it's all about money and their job title and eating bacon and steaks and drinks and how much money you have. And eventually you get to a point where a lot of that doesn't matter that much. Of course, family is, is number one. But a lot of this other stuff becomes like, is that all there is? And you know what? It's not all there is. There's a lot more. There's a heck of a lot more. And what we want to do here at Guys Guys Radio is offer an opportunity and opportunities for guys to see what else is out there that we don't know about that can help us out. And I've been on this mission for the past about five years, uncovering all these different resources for men. And I write about it on my website and my blog. Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I.com. I'm on Facebook, Robert Manny Author, Twitter at Robert Manny, YouTube, Robert Manny Author, and every one of our 233 podcasts of Guys Guys Radio is on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And I would ask, if you want to support me and you want to support the Guys Guys brand and message, very simple ask. Of course, I'd love it if you picked up my novel, it's available at Amazon and all the e-tailers. You can still find it in some bookstores, but you can always get a great deal on Amazon. But if you could go on iTunes and subscribe to Guys Guys Radio, you get every podcast for free, listen whenever you want, and rate us and review us. That's a big, big help. And I know, uh, I know sometimes asking an audience to do anything is uh, a challenge, but I'm asking you, if you enjoy the show, Subscribe, rate us, and review us. Okay, that's it for my commercial. Um, let's talk a little bit about my special guest. Um, Mark Thurston is an interesting guy. He wrote this book, Discovering Your Soul's Purpose, about uh, in the 1980s, actually, uh, I believe. And um, he's what you call a spiritual psychologist, an educator, a writer for the Association for Research and Enlightenment, ARE. I'm actually, believe it or not, I, uh, I go to the ARE, ARE Center in New York, and I go to some uh, seminars and events there. And I've always been a fan of Edgar Cayce. And when I was a kid, for some reason, you know, you get drawn to things. And I got drawn to uh, Edgar Cayce and who he was and how he lived his life and a lot of uh, his recommendations in terms of uh, food and diet and dreams and and also some of his predictions. Um, he's fascinating. And uh, Mark Thurston has written this book based on an in-depth study of how Edgar Casey served as a spiritual director to so many people, helping them. Mark's project resulted in a system of self-study that yielded a revelation of soul purpose for anyone committed enough to give it a try. And he has one-day workshops called Discover Your Soul's, Soul's Purpose. And they were based on the concept and presented throughout the USA and all over the world, leading to this book called, uh, by the same name way back in 1984, relaunching it now, reissuing it. And we're going to talk to Mark about why he's doing that now, why this is a uh, very timely idea. And I got to tell you, it synchronizes exactly where, why, where I am in my life right now. And I can't wait to bring them out here. So let's uh, take a moment for a quick break. And then we're going to bring on our special guest, Mark Thurston, Ph.D. Okay, we're back. 
As promised, uh, our special guest is Mark Thurston, Ph.D. His book is Discovering Your Soul's Purpose, Finding Your Path of Life, Work, and Personal Mission, The Edgar Casey Way. So let's bring him on to Guys Guys Radio right now. Good evening, Mark. Hey, Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. How are you? Hi. Good. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, my pleasure. So I guess the first question is, uh, just a follow-up to my lead-in, is to why reissue the book now? I think it's a great idea, but uh, why don't you share your thoughts about that with our audience? Yeah. Well, it's more than a reissue. It's a second edition, so probably about 30% okay. of the book didn't appear in the first edition. And I think in the 30 years between, a little more than 30 years, there's been a lot of social science research about how people go about finding meaning and calling um, but supports a lot of the ideas that your Casey put forward in the 1930s and 1940s. And also, um, I've just had a chance intervening years to lead a lot more workshops and academic classes at the university where I teach, and I've learned some new exercises that I think um, help lead a seeker through this discovery process in a more effective way. What's the uh, reception been like so far? Well, the new edition of the book just came out about three weeks ago. So I've been doing a lot of radio interviews. There seems to be considerable enthusiasm. Um, but I haven't talked to anybody yet who's read the book all the way through in its new edition. Okay, well, I have it, and I've gone through it. Um, so let's talk about it. Um, why okay, do you think – let's talk about soul's purpose. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I've been kind of on a quest very recently – to find my soul's purpose. And I've talked to my guides and my angels and other guides who I've worked with through channelers that I know. And um, what I've asked for is to help me get in alignment with my truth and my purpose. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. what I found is so far is I'm certain things that I have been interested in. I'm not getting responses on. It's almost like I'm being blocked but the other shoe hasn't dropped yet where I've gotten openings to opportunities that are more in line with what I should be doing. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the challenges people have uh, when they decide to find their soul's purpose. Um, Does this sound familiar, what I just mentioned? Oh, yeah, for, for sure. I think this is a topic that's relevant for emerging adults, like the college students that I teach. Mm hmm relevant for people who, you know, are in their late 30s, early 40s and going through the classic midlife crisis. I think it's relevant for people later into their career where they're looking for something that's sort of fresher and more innovative. Maybe they don't want to change jobs, but there's something about the routine of what they're doing that isn't very fulfilling anymore. I guess it's equally relevant to people who are retirees and may feel like, you know, i got another 10, 20, 30 years left. I want to do something with my talents, even though I'm mm-hmm. not going to a job every day. So how, what are this kind of the, uh, I don't want to give away the whole book, but give us some of the steps. So if somebody decides, you know what, I need to determine what I'm supposed to be doing here. Um, what are the kind of the initial steps? What, what do they have to do to kind of clear the path to get themselves into position to be able to do this work? Yeah. So let me start by saying that, in the way that Edgar Cayce as a spiritual philosopher and as a sort of spiritual mentor and guide to hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people back in his own era, I think when he described a soul purpose, it was something broader than just a career or an occupation. It tended to be something more thematic that would draw upon our key talents and gifts and strengths in a way that would contribute to the greater good. So, for example, one woman was told that her sole purpose was to help people through the difficult transitions in life. And that's fairly specific, but it's also broad enough that she could find ways to do that with a job or just her way of being with her family or her way of being in the community, even the way that she would treat herself and helping herself through difficult transitions. So I I think the first obstacle that sometimes people have to face is getting beyond this just being a, a job or occupation mm-hmm. selection process. We're, we're, we're working at a deeper level. So Casey's advice as a first step was to get really clear about your core beliefs and your core values. You have to have a kind of a foundation on which this 
whole process is going to be based. He called it setting a spiritual ideal. Um, the second step is to really take a deep inventory about oneself and what assets and talents and gifts and strengths you have. And I think the obstacle here can be comparing ourselves to other people. As soon as we start to claim a particular gift or talent, what may pop into our head is somebody else who, oh, somebody else can do it better than I can. But that's not the point. We have gifts and talents that, that are there to be used in our own unique way. So really being able to stand up for ourselves, do some soul searching, see what your key gifts are. And then a third step is to begin to try to fashion a first draft of a mission statement, much like a company or an organization write, might write a mission statement for their corporate or their organizational work. We can do this for ourselves. It usually has to do with focusing on what we have to give, what, what is the, the service or the product or the contribution that we can make to the greater good. So everybody's life purpose has to do with helping in some way. And it involves drawing upon these gifts and talents that we have. Now, I say write a first draft because I think over the weeks and months, this um, alters, it gets refined, it gets stated more briefly. So it's a kind of iterative process. Now, if, if, if we supposedly sign up for what we are supposed to do, our purpose in this particular incarnation. Why is it such a struggle for so many to find their life purpose? And why do so many people actually, they probably go through life and they, they just completely miss the mark. Why, yeah. why, why, why is that? Because if you sign up for something and then you go into the third level, third dimensional density that we're in, which is supposedly a real challenge and a spe- earth is a special place to be incarnated. Why do so many of us have such difficulty and so f- finding our purpose and why so few of us really lock in and align with our truth? Yeah. So I, I think there's probably gradations to being successful with this. Um, it may be that a person who doesn't fully fulfill what they their soul intended, nevertheless, there there can be soul growth. There can be progression and spiritual evolution. So I'm not sure it's like a light bulb that's either on or off. It may be more like a dimmer switch. And and yet Mm -hmm. all of us would like to make that light bulb burn as brightly as possible. And, you know, there there are forces of resistance, both externally and internally. Sometimes we can do more about the internal resistances than we can the cultural or environmental resistances, a lot of it comes down to not believing in ourselves, doubting ourselves. I think fear is often a huge mm-hmm. obstacle. I think everybody's life purpose involves some prudent risk-taking, willingness to kind of put ourselves out there and be on the edge a bit. Uh, we don't have to be reckless about it. And I think a lot of times people don't find their tribe. They don't find their allies. I think talking about men, I think men in particular wrestle with this, mm-hmm. finding their group or their social support system that can kind of provide that help that we all need to be successful with our calling. Why do you think that is for men more so than for women? Because men are like lone wolves and like how we do things. I mean, I wrote this book, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, and the men behave completely differently when it comes to romance and uh, dealing with the opposite sex than, than women do. Women talk to each other, you know, they get more into much more detail. Guys are kind of like lone wolves. And I think that carries over uh, in terms of our emotional intelligence and how we, uh, how we uh, share with each other. Men rarely, uh, unless it's something very specific and important, share like problems. You know, we don't cry on each other's shoulder sign of weakness yeah. perceptively yeah. well there's your answer I think just what you were describing I mean there's certainly exceptions to this we all know men who are more in touch with their intuition and their feelings and are more emotionally intelligent thematically intelligent but by and large I think men are more um, left brain they're um, more in touch with the pragmatic side of life 
And mm-hmm. that's important, too, because it's not just tuning into and figuring out what your soul's purpose is. You've got to be able to live it and do it. So I think it may be that men have a little bit harder time intuiting what this purpose is. It may be very skillful and then putting it into practical application. Okay, let's take a half step back uh, and talk about Edgar Casey a little bit. I, you know, sure. I was drawn yeah. to him and I found him to be fascinating. And I and I kind of forgot about him over the years. I was very into, you know, his teachings, and I have a bunch of books by him that I read when I was like in my teens and my twenties. And then mm-hmm. now I notice, for some reason, his name and his teachings keep bubbling back in front of me. And now you're on the show, so tell us. Uh, about what the importance is, the significance is of Edgar Cayce, uh, the sleeping prophet, and his teachings, particularly now, more than ever, if you will. Yeah. You know, Cayce was a seminal figure. For those that aren't familiar with him, his name is spelled C-A-Y-C-E. It's sort of an unusual spelling of Cayce. He died in 1945, and so um, I think there's been a period where people have said, oh, there's, there's new psychics now. Let's deal with psychics and clairvoyants who are still alive. But he was really um, a pioneer figure, and he lived at a time when um, he was still very rooted in his Christian and Judeo-Christian roots, and he invites us to sort of explore some of the spiritual teachings of the East, such as meditation and reincarnation, Mm -hmm. but to do it within a sort of Western perspective. I think that's still a huge contribution to his work, kind of bringing the Eastern wisdom into our Western culture. He was also somebody who was a key figure in the development of holistic health. Um, Two-thirds of the psychic discourses that he gave that we have transcripts of were about holistic health. And so that was a primary area of his life's work. And I think that's really important because we're we're speaking briefly a moment ago about what can get in the way of our calling. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's lack of attention to our health. If if we're not taking good care of our physical bodies, it's going to be hard to manifest and to bring into three dimensions what our soul talents are all about. Yeah. I keep reading and learning more and more. And I'm actually now open to it that, you know, if we, if humans nowadays treated themselves the right way in terms of diet and uh, wellness, that we could live like 200 years and we don't. And now with the, you know, the food supply that we have uh, and, uh, and just stress and how we live has actually, uh, you know, not really, it's, you know, the life extension is uh, maybe a uh, longevity is up. I think for men, it's like went from 79 to 80 or something recently, yeah. but it's a very slow climb. Whereas it could be a uh, 150 or whatever, if we live the right way. And people have yeah. lived in, in the history of mankind. People have lived to 200 years old. So there's no doubt that we would love to have more longevity, but it's also then the quality of what we're going to put into those years. Mm-hmm. And just to live to be 125 or 150, but not to feel like you're living your calling, I think it's just an invitation to boredom. We, we really want to bring right. a certain um, excitement mm-hmm. and creativity and sense of meaning to how we're living those extra years. Okay. Well, let's talk about the strategy then, you know, to, to find your soul's purpose. Um, you gave us uh, the bullet points of um, uh, self-assessment, mission statement, and uh, identifying your spiritual ideal, I believe it is. Yeah. Starting with a spiritual ideal. What do I really believe in? What, what are my core values? You know, what, what do I what am I ready to base my life on in terms of key principles? And then to turn to, to sort of an inventory of, you know, what have I got in me? What have my accomplishments been so far in my life? And what were the talents and gifts that I had to draw upon to do those achievements? And even if I don't want to keep doing those kinds of achievements, at least they've shown me that certain talents and skills and abilities live in me. And now how could I at this turning point in my life draw upon those same talents and abilities in a different way, in a more meaningful way. All right. Well, how, let's, let's get into a practical example so people, uh, our listeners can kind of track along with this. Uh, so uh, 
let's we can use myself as an example. My background, okay. business okay. career. I always wanted to be a writer. I ended up going into business, but I went into the creative end of business, marketing and then advertising. Yet I stayed on the business side of advertising because I didn't want to use my psychic energy to write ads. I wanted to save my psychic energy to solve business problems, but also to work on my own creations, not the creations of uh, other people for other brands. And then uh, eventually I wrote a novel and then I wrote another novel. I got published and then I, I'm doing what I'm doing now. I've moved a little bit a step a, a step uh, away from the business world, but I still have to do brand building and what I'm doing. Yet it all comes down to like, I got to pay bills. So I think there's a lot of people in a similar situation where, and I just wrote a blog about this, how to stay the course to your dreams uh, when you're dealing with survival. <laughs> and so you know, I, I might think that, okay, this is what I meant to do. I really want to uh, be a voice, a new voice for men to open up men to what can be, to the other opportunities and resources that are available to them. I think men are kind of scratching around, but it's usually to find uh, short-term solutions to their current situations, like quick fixes. Yeah. They're not looking yeah. to shift the paradigm. Um, I believe that there is a role for that. And um, I call myself a regular guy on a spiritual quest leading a regular life. And I think there's a voice for that. Yet, I need to make money. I got to take care of my family. Okay, that's an example. How do I work with finding my spiritual uh, purpose? Yeah. So I heard um, several talents described in that narration just then. It sounds to me like you have a certain gift for working with words. It sounds to me like you're really tuned into the masculine psyche or the, the masculine archetype, that you have okay. a real um, vision or commitment to um, lifting um, things into their higher potential. It sounds to me like if I I'm not, I don't give readings, but if I were trying mm-hmm. to be Edgar Casey, I'd guess you're sole purpose statement as a first draft might have something they're using words to awaken the masculine archetype to its highest expression or okay. some way to sort of quicken the, the masculine that's in every human being men and women but to bring that into its healthiest expression rather than its more limited or life denying controlling kind of expression that it often comes out as no, that's fantastic, I, I think, and I, 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 I keep going. I think keep words going. are a key. I think words are a key thing for you, whether it's the written word, the spoken word, like we're doing right now, maybe just the little things that you intuit to say to somebody that can lift their vision, can lift their consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, thank you very much uh, for you know for you did help me. And sometimes it's difficult for the individual to self-assess honestly. And it's easier when you can hear it. Like you, you just heard the first, you know, you really don't know me. You, I just threw a couple of things at you and you packed it up very nicely. So thank you. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of people where they're so close to themselves that it's hard for them to identify what their talents are, who they are and what they can contribute and how that can be, um, uh, how that can be shaped into their soul's purpose. How can people, what, what would your advice be Mark to people who want to do the work through your book and do the exercise and everything, but need to be able to know and validate, am, am I kidding myself or am I on the right path? Well, um, I know of two couples here in the last three weeks who told me that they're working on the book together. One couple said they're reading it to each other. The other, mm-hmm. it's just the, the guy and the lady are both reading it independently. But then they've got sort of a study partner that they could mm-hmm. use as a sounding board and, and, mm-hmm. and ask for insights and ask for perspective. Mm-hmm. And if it's not a romantic partner, it could be you know another guy friend. It could be a lady friend. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be in a, in a romance, but somebody with sure. whom you feel energy and you feel trust. Um, it could even go beyond just a pair. It could be a, a trio or a small group. Um, we need social support, both 
to help us believe in ourselves and also to help us be objective about ourselves. Uh, you know, it's interesting. My wife told me, she said today, she said, you know what you should do? Take a couple hours during the week and go go to like the open center, someplace like that in New York and go volunteer. They could use your talents and you'll meet all these different people. That's what you need to do. And I'm like, I had never thought of that. And it sounded like, you know, I was president of an ad agency and I've done a lot of stuff and I'm like, I don't want to be handing out flyers or something. And I said, get over yourself. Maybe that is a good thing to do. How do people um, start to uh, look at the, you know, look at themselves uh, humbly and out of the box a little bit to get on their path? Because the second part of that is, you know, when it comes down to it, people a lot of times work harder than they have to work at work instead of getting themselves in alignment, which is tricky. But if you can get in alignment, things and situations and people you need to be dealing with flow in align with your purpose and your truth. Yeah, that's really true. That seems to be the, the key because everybody works really hard, but it's like pounding nails or are they really making yeah. something? Well, there's a lot that could be said about that. If I could do a quick sidebar before answering that, just as a sure. synchronicity, I was on the phone this morning with one of the program directors at the Open Center setting mm-hmm. up a date for the springtime to do a workshop there on this very topic. It's interesting wow. you mentioned the Open Center just now. So, oh, okay. Moving back to your question, I, I think alignment is crucial. The, the beginning for me about alignment is to every day have some type of reflective practice, some type of contemplative practice. Um, oftentimes for me, it's to have a sitting meditation time, which probably more than anything else in my life keeps me aligned. It doesn't mm-hmm. always have to be sitting. I was actually visiting the Edgar Casey Center in Virginia Beach the past few days, and I took a walk this morning on the beach, um, which helped me get into alignment. So it, it can it can be out in the world. It doesn't have to be sitting if somebody's not comfortable with that kind of an approach. But we need something daily probably for five to 20 minutes that helps us sort of slow down, be focused, come back to ourselves, remember ourselves. That's the beginning of alignment. That's that kind of practice. I think another part of alignment is trusting that everything that arises in life is potentially a doorway to deeper self-understanding and potentially even a doorway to how our mission or our purpose could be lived, even when things aren't going right, even when there's somebody that annoys us. If we can trust that that circumstance is arising for a reason that has within it some potential for us to respond out of our ideal or manifest patience, or to be good-spirited about it. And, I, you know, easier said than done sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I think that is another part of alignment, is trusting that every moment in life is potentially a doorway into knowing ourselves spiritually more fully. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, because I, I like to make my show very practical for people, and particularly for the guys who are listening. So they, you know, left brain. So, Tell us a little bit, if you will, just share your story in terms of how you found your soul's purpose and what were some of the hurdles you had to get over to get in alignment. And then how did you yeah. validate your alignment to know you were yeah. on the right track? Because I, I find as I'm doing this work, I, am, I don't know if this is typical or not, Mark, but I'm getting like really high highs and then really low lows, which I'm not that type of person in the same day. I'm very even keeled. Mm. I'm passionate, but I'm even keeled. But I'm going way up and way down. And like, I'll wake up down, which I never do. And then by the middle of the day, I'm like way up again. It's like, it's very weird. I don't know if that's just me or some of these things. That, was that part of your experience in terms of getting uh, in, in line with mm. your soul's purpose? Mm. Well, I could, I mean, I've been studying the Casey material for more than 40 years now. And I mean, I'm in my 60s now, so I've had a lot of time to work with this. I think my own journey about soul purpose began with what felt like an irreconcilable dilemma in terms of two sides of me that didn't seem like they fit. Okay. On the one hand, I, I did really well in math and in science when I was in high school and got a scholarship to a big-name science and engineering school and 
Mm-hmm. I was going to be a physicist. And the other side of me, I was really interested in my Protestant church. I was very involved in youth activities at my church. I really had a deep religious life. It just felt like I had these two sides of me that didn't communicate with each other very much. Yep. And so any kind of uh, fulfilled life was going to require some kind of alignment between these two polar opposites. And I think this is a way that coming across the Casey material really helped me because there was lots of respect for research and there's lots of respect for scientific inquiry. At the same time, there was a profound appreciation for the invisible and the spiritual side of life. And it sort of challenged me to become a spiritual researcher. And so over the years, I I think my commitment to working as trying to become a spiritually oriented psychologist had a lot of flow to it where Mm -hmm. the right people would come into my life at the right time. And, you know, there were setbacks. There were certainly setbacks. But overall, if I look at the big picture, there seemed to be kind of a a guiding influence when I would trust it. Mm -hmm. Things would unfold and I'd find the next opportunity, even though I couldn't have figured it out logically. I also discovered that I um, was sort of good at some kinds of things and not so good at others, so I had to be willing to kind of risk and take some chances and stumble a little bit and have some failures. I guess there's some famous saying about if you aren't failing at least occasionally, you're not trying hard enough or you're not pushing yourself enough. So um, I had to overcome this side of myself that was sort of risk-adverse. And that could have sabotaged my life purpose. I hadn't been willing to try to cultivate a little more courageous spirit. Um, And I I also had to be willing to let things kind of die and move on to the next thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So I worked at the Edgar Casey Center for 36 years. And then suddenly a faculty teaching position became available to me at a big public university, George Mason University in the suburbs of D.C. And... um, so for the last nine years, I've been teaching college students about this stuff. And um, there was a certain comfort in just staying where I was. And I'm, I'm glad that I was willing to kind of take a chance and try a new way of living that same purpose, but with a new kind of audience. Do you find that uh, today's, uh, I guess, millennials, um, are they um, actively searching for their soul's purpose uh, more than other groups, or is this a constant of people who are in that age bracket, regardless of which labeled yeah. generation there is? Yeah, I think um, I think maybe the millennials um, are approaching it in a little bit different way than baby boomers did when I was in mm-hmm. college 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're digital natives. <laughs> they're they're yep. used to connectedness. They're used to quick answers. Um, there's also um, a huge amount of uncertainty that they are facing right now about whether we're going to have climate change and whether there's going to be jobs for them when they get their degree. Um, so I find that the, the hunger for meaning is very profound with an emerging adult. I think there's also, by and large, a kind of flexibility and willingness to synthesize spirituality there's mm-hmm. some that are clearly committed to their faith in a, in a fairly straightforward, devoted, single-minded way. I have a lot of Islamic students. I have a lot of Jewish students, Christians. Mm-hmm. I have a lot, though, that are kind of eclectic, and they're trying to kind of put together what works for them. And I, I think there's a lot more of that than there was a generation or two ago. How, how can uh, people... Um, tap into, uh, and I'll use the word in quotes, the Christ consciousness, where mm-hmm. it's, you don't have to be a believer in Jesus specifically, but the notion of a Christ consciousness, that, that divine spark. How, how yeah. can people, what's your advice in terms of people being able to tap into the divinity that's within? I mean, what I've learned over the years is that one of the things we need to do as people is we have to realize and acknowledge that everyone, every single person on this planet is divine because they're created from the divine spark, no matter how destitute or 
messed up they may be or the decisions that they're making, they still have the divinity there, and we must acknowledge that. And that yeah. will help us r- raise the grid, if you will, the vibrational yeah. grid. How, how can people uh, kind of wrap that whole notion and, uh, and uh, 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 spark with the Christ consciousness? Yeah. How can they use it? How can well, they Well, I think what you just said makes a lot of sense to you and me, but it's a big stretch for some people. Yeah. The notion that every person has within them a divine spark is not necessarily a widely held view, sadly. Sadly. Um, it was a big deal to Edgar Cayce's philosophy. Even though he was a devout Christian, um, he had a lot of respect for every faith tradition, and he encouraged us to look for the sort of interconnectedness of life. In in what ways do we have links and connections to each other? And I encourage people, strange as it may sound, to start with nature, to spend time in nature. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of men, this is a natural portal into spirituality. A lot of guys like fishing, golf, hunting, kind of yep. hiking, biking. Mm-hmm. And, and there's something about being out in the natural world. And if we'll open our eyes and pay attention Yep. So what's there, we see a tremendous amount of um, synergy, connectedness, oneness, and that can, I think, kind of spark or trigger an, an inner awareness of, of, of the invisible side in which we're one with each other as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, last question. Uh, gratitude. How important is it to... Uh, you know, I always think that when times are tough, that you need to go right to gratitude um, because there's always things to be thankful for. And it may not be easy because if you're really chewing on something and it really doesn't taste good and it really, things are really not working out the way you want to, it's hard to go to gratitude, but you need to go there. Um, Talk to us about that, Mark. Yeah. Gratitude and sort of a sister word or a cousin word is appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we need to practice that when things are going well, and not wait until we're really having a hard time and kind of drag ourselves over to the gratitude or appreciation mm-hmm. spot. So we, so we need to rehearse it when things are either neutral or going well. Um, there's some interesting research that's been done about what helps people connect to their heart consciousness, sort of emotional mm-hmm. intelligence and heart consciousness. Yeah. And the one quality that fosters this more than anything else is appreciation. Okay. When we are appreciative of somebody else or some condition, it sort of awakens this intuitive, somatic, emotional intelligence. And I think, coming back to the whole male psychology thing again, this is probably something that's easier for women, by and large. Mm-hmm. And if men want to cultivate their heart consciousness, probably gratitude and appreciation on a regular basis, even with a little gratitude journal, mm-hmm. is a really powerful way to do that. Uh, a great idea. Fantastic. Well, uh, Mark, I have so much respect for the work you're doing, and I thank you for uh, educating me and our audience during, uh, uh, during our show. Could you tell everybody where they can find your book, what, your social media information, sure, et cetera? Sure, yeah, yeah. So the easiest way to find me is just my name run together as one word, Mark Thurston, Mark with a K, Thurston, T-H-U-R-S-T-O-N, dot com. And that takes you to a web page, and there's a little bio about me. There's a place. There's a link over to Amazon for the book. There's a place you can get on my mailing list, and I send out free resources, learning resources periodically to people on my list. You can even leave me a message there at markthurston.com. That's kind of the easiest way to find me. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to do that because I want to find out when you're going to be at the Open Center, and I'm going to be there. And who knows? I might even. I think even it's April twenty-second. <laughs> April twenty-second. Well, I may even be volunteering, so maybe I'll be getting you a pitcher of water. <laughs> Whatever it is, though, I can't wait. It's fantastic. Well, listen, thanks so much. I, I'm thoroughly enjoying the book. I, I, I powered through it, and I'm now going to go through and do every exercise very mindfully because I have so many books and guests that I have to deal with. It's hard for me to sit and read every single word and, and absorb everything, so I usually power through a lot of the books. And uh, yours is very compelling, and it's very good, and I highly recommend it to our audience. And I'm really appreciative that uh, – You've taken the time to come on Guys Guys Radio and uh, share your wisdom with us. So thanks so much, Mark. Thank you I really so much. Great to Thank meet you. Thank you.
Thank All right. you. All right. Thanks so much, Mark. Be well. Okay. Keep up your good work. All right. Thank you. Okay, everybody, that's our special guest, Mark Thurston, Ph.D., Discovering Your Soul's Purpose, Finding Your Path in Life, Work, and Personal Mission, the Edgar Casey Way. So check out Mark. Check out Edgar Casey too, because you'll learn a lot, and Mark's really doing terrific work. Um, I'm going to take a quick break here, folks, and then we're going to come right back, and I'm, doing, I'm going to do a real quick Guys, Guys, Guide for the week, and it's about um, the questions guys need to ask themselves before getting married. And I'll tell you why I'm going to do this, because uh, I've got a buddy of mine. He's a millennial. He does some work for me uh, in social media and my website. And uh, he's uh, he was asking me about, you know, I got married later in life and he's asking me about it. And uh, he told me about his situation. And I, well, I didn't want to, you know, you have to do what you have to do. It's a personal decision. So I, I said, well, let me see how I could help if I take a step back. And just look at this from more of a macro standpoint. So I thought, hmm, there's a blog there. So I came up with the uh, 10 questions that men should ask themselves before getting married. Uh, And so that's what we're going to talk about. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with the Guys Guys Guide. Okay, we're back. And as promised, this week's Guys Guys Guide is the top 10 questions men should ask themselves before getting married. And I think it's such an important topic and I just don't want to do a, you know, here's 10 questions. I'm going to do five this week. and I'm going to do five next week because, uh, you know, you really want getting married. I don't believe this whole notion of like starter marriages and all of that. And, you know, we live in a somewhat disposable society. You know, you do online dating, people ghost you, people ghost you in business people just disappear and move on to the next thing. And that's really, I think when it comes to relationships and how you treat other people, you've got to go old school and old school is you treat people with respect. You treat people the way you want to be treated. It's that simple. If that sounds like an old fashioned idea, I'm sorry. That's what I think. That's your guys, guys recommendation there. So it took me a long time to get married. In fact, I was single so long that when I'd go home for Thanksgiving, nobody even asked me anymore, when are you getting married? It was a foregone conclusion that it wasn't happening. But one Thanksgiving, I knew I was ready. I had just uh, ended a relationship with somebody, and I was thinking to myself, why, am I, why don't my relationships long-term, long, long-term, the big one, why hasn't it worked out? And then I realized that I really had to clear the deck and I had to make room in my heart for somebody else. And as soon as I realized that, I told my mom, I said, I'm going to get married. And she said, really? When? Who? With who? I said, I don't know, but next year I'll let you know. And sure enough, I met somebody in the next year and uh, uh, we went out for a while. We got engaged and then we got got married a year from then. So it took two years, but um, I was with the person who I ended up marrying a year to the day that I told my mom I was going to, uh, I was ready to get married. And I knew the reason was I had to make room in my heart for somebody else. It's kind of a separate subject, but that's what it took for me. But the questions I think guys specifically need to ask themselves, because a lot of times guys will keep going in a relationship with a woman and they, you know, they just, they don't realize that a woman usually has a, a kind of a long-term game plan if she's with a guy for more than like a year. And guys might just say, oh, well, we've just been dating for a year. And you know what? The, the, the clock is, runs a little bit differently for men and women. Uh, that's just the way it is, in my opinion. So I think what a guy, when it's time and he's getting some pressure from his lady friend, he's got to ask himself before he jumps into the marriage or gets muscled into it, you have to say to yourself, one, am I truly ready to get married? You know, marriage is a lifelong co- commitment. It's no joke. And you better be aware of what you're getting into before you make that leap. It's got to be built on love, trust, and respect. You got to go deep inside and ask yourself if getting married feels right for you. And it feels right right now. If there's any hesitation, I suggest you take a step back and go through that process again. And if you find again that there's hesitation, you might want to figure out why and maybe even at that point reconsider your options. Because when you're ready to get married, when you meet the right person, It's not going to be a belabored process in terms of asking yourselves and going through all these questions and having long-winded, complicated answers. You're just going to know the answers will be in your heart. 
So if there is a hesitation and you go back and do the process again and ask yourself, are you ready? You got to, you got to then question, maybe I'm not ready. Maybe this isn't the one. And ultimately everybody wants to be with somebody who wants to be with them. So even though there might be short term pain, if you end up breaking up, you're probably doing a favor for yourself and for the other person. So think about that. Number one, two, you got to ask yourself, what does my future look like with this woman? And you have to project, go out 10 years, go out 20 years, go out 30 years, 40 years. Is this the person I really want to hang with for the next 50 years? Now, I'm not a big fan of starter marriages. To me, like uh, marriage is a commitment. If you're going to have a starter marriage, just date somebody. Uh, But, uh, you know, it's a new it's a new concept, relatively new, but I don't believe in it. Um, So ask yourself, is this the type of person, you know, do we want to live in the same place? How do we want to handle the working situation? Uh, Where do we want a vacation? Where do we want to travel? Where do we want to settle down, buy a home? Do we want to spend our old age together? You got to ask yourself all that stuff. And also about kids. Do we want to have kids? It's an issue. She wants to have kids. You don't. You want to have kids. She doesn't. You want one kid. She wants five kids. It's big. It makes a difference. I had a guy write to me uh, online telling me that he's in his 50s and his wife all of a sudden got pregnant. And he was he was very upset about it. He asked me what he should do because he already had three kids. I told him, you know, I didn't tell him you have to be accountable because, you know, she didn't get pregnant on her own. But what I did tell him is, you know, instead of being upset, upset about it, think of it as a blessing. Think of the positives. Think about, you know, all you can learn and share and teach a new human being in this world. What type of contribution you can make. Look at the positives and get on the same wavelength as your wife. Does she want to have another kid? If she doesn't, you don't. That's not fair to the kid. But you have to, those are the types of things you have to think about. Um, another big one, and it may be the big one for guys, is are you prepared to, unless you're in an open marriage, you know, having sex with other women once you're married is kind of off limits. So think about that. Is this the person you want to have sex with all the time and nobody else? If sex means that much to you. And uh, in a good marriage, it should mean a lot. So ask yourself that question. And if the answer is no, then you're looking for trouble. You also have to ask yourself, what are her expectations? What is, from her perspective, what does she expect out of you? Do you need to be the breadwinner? Things are different these days. There's a lot of Mr. Moms. There's a lot of guys taking care of the kids. It's important. Is she going to be okay with that? If you're going to be a stay-at-home dad and pursue a writing career, whatever, is that Okay. If she's going to be the corporate one and you're going to be the, you know, Mr. Mom, some people can dig that. Other people, no way. I'll give you my last question, number five, and then we'll get into the second five next week. And it's actually a bonus question. Second, the last question is, what do I think of her family? And I don't mean being judgmental, but do I vibe with her family? You know, most cases, the majority of cases, you're going to have a lot of interaction with her family, whether you like it or not. So if you absolutely don't like them at all, that's an issue. If you're okay, that's all right. If you really like them, that's fantastic. Um, but you want to at least be neutral or plus in the plus column. Cause if it's not, you know, there are holidays and you're probably going to have to show up and have to deal with them. And sometimes they get their noses in your business. So just be prepared, but it's important. And, uh, you know, most people are pretty cool. I, I haven't had a problem. I can think of my relationships, one or two, like, yeah, I wasn't really digging on the family that much, but they were all good people. Um, if somebody got in my face or anything, like one time I, I took one uh, woman I dated to a wedding and her brother kind of pulled me aside and it's like a little bit threatening, like you better make sure you treat her good or like that type of stuff. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't laugh in his face, but basically I said to myself, I, I don't really want to see you again. And uh, so you have to you have to really go through that process of uh, determining uh, how you feel about the family and how you're vibing with them. So anyhow, those are my five first five questions. And I'll get through the second five next week. 
that's our show for this evening. Um, our next show is next Wednesday at 7 p.m. We've got PMH Atwater, another uh, spiritual writer. She's got a new book out. We're going to talk to her next week. And we'll get to some relationship folks after that. But uh, um, I'm on a, a wellness track right now, so let's keep riding it. So anyhow, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you'll support, continue to support Guys Guys Radio. We've done uh, 200. This is our 233rd podcast. They're all free. Download them, listen to them, whatever you want. I just hope you support us, and I thank you for being there with us. So like I always like to say at the end of each show is, remember, guys, guys, finish first.